the Holy Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The next day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, there is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. What are you looking for? he said to them. They said to him, Rabbi, which translates to teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the Gospel of the Lord. And I'm Jeff, which is translated, hey you. <laughs> so a couple of things in the background on this passage. Again, for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, the, the designers of the Revised Common Lectionary decided to drop the, uh, the story from the Gospel of Matthew and insert this theme from the Gospel of John into our uh, lectionary text. And what's, what's interesting about this scene, unlike the other three stories, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those stories, uh, when, when Jesus begins this process of sort of calling people to follow him, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, uh, they give up their, their work, their fishermen in those stories, they give up that work in order to follow Jesus. Here, in the Gospel of John, they give up a religious commitment. Because in this scene, they are followers of John. And so they drop him like a hot rock and start to follow Jesus. And I'm convinced, having wrestled this alligator for the last going on 40 years, uh, that this ancient community of the Gospel of John is going near neener to the followers of John the Baptist. Just saying. I just think that's fun. And, and the other thing is that initially in this story, these people remain uh, unnamed. And that is a clue as to the nature of the story and how different it is from the others. Um, because in John's Gospel, in this narrative, there are no twelve. There are no twelve apostles. Those who follow Jesus are numbered who knows, it's never specified, in the hundreds. And it's men, it's women, it's children, it's all kinds of folks from all around. And so another uh, distinction. And the third thing that's very different 
in this scene from the other stories is that nowhere in this story is John described as the Baptist or the baptizer. It never happens. He doesn't baptize Jesus. doesn't even look like he baptizes anyone else. The only function he serves is to do this. Oh, look! And then, the Gospel of John says, Bye-bye to him. He never comes up again. There's nothing in there about getting beheaded or, you know, any other conversation that he has with Jesus. All he does is point to Jesus and he's out of here. So it's a very different kind of a narrative with a very different sort of focus. And, and where it seems to come uh, home to roost in this scene is when Jesus poses the question to these unnamed potential followers. What are you looking for? And did anyone notice anything peculiar about this scene with regard to that question? It's a trick question. You knew it. I, I could tell you. I'll give the answer. Nobody in the story responds to the question. They got their own agenda, they got their own questions, they got their own thing going on. And it's as though this question, what are you looking for, is just hung in the air. And here's what's equally interesting. At the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus has been put to death by Imperial Rome and mysteriously and wondrously begins to appear among those who have followed him during his life, and guess what question he asked. Take a wild guess. It's the same question. It's the same question. He says, what are you looking for? And guess how they respond? They don't. <laughs> they've got their own agenda, they have their own questions, they've got their own thing going on. It's as though the question at the beginning of the story and the end of the story is just hung into the air. And it leads me to believe that this is the claim for the Gospel according to John. And it's intended not for any of the characters that we encounter in the story. This question is intended for us, yeah. for you and me. So here it is, folks. Here you are, St. Peter's. Sunday morning, whatever the day is, I'm losing track. What are you looking for? After win. <laughs> I saw this coming. I'm, 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 I'm a little, it's a little weird over here. Kevin and Sue, they're looking for a Packer win. Oh, we got a little Oh my God, oh! Don't take your eyes off those computers. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Alright, spill it. Who's looking for a Packer win today? Whoa, we got a
Uh-oh. It's on. <laughs>
Because when we're living comfortably in our own skin, we can pass that along to other people. Can't we? Um, how about uh, we're looking to be gentle with ourselves? Years ago, I encountered this notion with my spiritual director who, in response to yet another day of beating the snot out of myself, he said, let's talk about the engine. What? Uh, by the grace of God. Uh, how about uh, when we're looking for opportunities to serve? Yeah? And so fold all of those into the lovely things that you folks uh, already mentioned and imagine that those are the kinds of things that we want to respond with when we hear this question from Jesus. What are you looking for? <laughs> and let's give ourselves permission to be honest. I mean, if our motives are a little shaky, whatever. You know, bring that to the table and tell the truth. And then perhaps that, that shady motive or that desire uh, can be transformed uh, in some way. One of the things that uh, occurred to me in, in response to this question, what are you looking for, is um, I, I'm looking to remember. And uh, my, my lovely, talented, and intelligent wife, Marietta, and I have this conversation constantly, and she reminds me on a regular basis of basis, all the things that I forget. Which I'm very good at. I have I have a forgetter to beat things, especially when it comes to bad stuff. I just don't want to deal with this. But what I've discovered over the years is that to to remember is to bring uh, with it the potential for uh, healing and wholeness. I mean, there are things in our lives that we want to forget. Yes. And yet, when we, when we engage that old adage, forgive and forget, we end up going down the rabbit hole. Because it doesn't work, does it? We have to remember. I mean, in order to engage a life of forgiveness, both on our own behalf as well as others, we've got to remember this stuff. And sometimes it's really painful. We were talking about it. Uh, during the adult forum. I mean, it's almost when, when these painful memories surface, some of which get buried pretty deep, you know, just, just as a way to survive the day. But when they begin to come up, our first response, at least my first response, is, oh my God, i got to relive this again? Are you kidding me? And yet, by the grace of God and with the help of other people, to remember those things does a couple of things. One, it keeps me mindful of the fact that I'm, I'm a little torn up. Like everyone else I encounter. We're, we're all a little shredded by life, aren't we? And the longer we're alive, the more we sort of experience that. I mean, you know, there's a brokenness about our humanity, and once again, my lovely, talented, and intelligent wife, Marietta, insists, she absolutely insists, and I think she's right, 
that where we most deeply connect is out of our brokenness and recognizing how we're shredded and how we've you know, shredded ourselves as well. I mean, there's, there's potent and powerful stuff going on there. So to remember um, is, a, is an act of faith, is part of the, part of the spiritual journey. And it's, and it's one of the things that we engage in answer to the question, what are you looking for? The other side of this that I've discovered is to be remembered. When people speak well of us, when they think of us fondly, and maybe even when they cut us out, <laughs> it brings us back on the planet. And in all kinds of wild ways, it keeps us connected to uh, the rest of humanity and the rest of the universe. And, and I want to draw an analogy here when you and I gather as a community, as we've done today, and, and we're celebrating the Eucharist, and we hear the words, and um, uh, Brian, Brian has done a, a brilliant thing over the years. During, during the regular season, when you hear the words of institution now, for instance, today, uh, what, what you'll hear is, uh, this is this my body, uh, given for you, do this and know that I am with you. Yes? But come the season of Lent, and it was Brian that, that put this two and two together, you're going to hear the phrase, do this to remember me. And Brian hyphenated the word remember. Did you any folks recall that on the screen? It is it is a brilliant way of communicating to ourselves that when we gather to celebrate the Eucharist, uh, that we're, I, I hate to put it this way, but we're reconstituting Jesus. We're, we're bringing him you know, into our lives and, and also imagining that we become part of his body. You'll, you'll hear that language too in the of the body that, that we made, the body of Christ, you know, here in the world. And, and here's where I think the great, the great gift begins to kick in, because whenever you and I are uh, engaged in all of these activities that we've been talking about, that you folks brought up, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? We're looking for love, we're looking for community, we're looking for companionship, friendship, we're looking for opportunities to serve, we're looking for ways to be gentle with ourselves. All of these things that we do, as we engage these activities, guess what? According to the Gospel of John, when we're doing all those things, we're in relationship with Jesus. And we're in relationship with God. And in effect, what is happening is that we are in union with the divine. Now, I bring this up because uh, a lot of you, like me, suffer from the fantasy that it's all going to get better when we die. Mm -hmm. And that once we die, oh, yeah. 
Those of us that are lucky, we're going to go to heaven and say, Oh, it's going to be bliss! Oh, it's going to be nirvana! <laughs> you know what I've discovered about that fantasy? And, and, and we've been sold a bill of goods here, folks. I mean, the church has been, you know, touting this fantasy now for centuries. Guess what? That fantasy of heaven is right in line with that thing I mentioned earlier when I'm looking to get the heat off. And when I'm waiting for them to just leave me alone. It's a fantasy. And so, to imagine that as we connect, uh, as we find ways to be gentle with ourselves, looking to live godly, righteous, and sober lives, as the prayer book says, as we look for that spiritual path that allows us to live comfortably within our own skin, in order to share that with the rest of the human race, we are in union with God. And there's part of me that goes, oh, for God's sake, it can't be like this. At, at least could we throw in some ice cream or something, <laughs> right? So this is it. And so just bring that with you when you come up for communion. And while we're remembering and being remembered, you think about our prayers of the people when our leader invites all of us to join in naming the people that are being held in our prayers. Guess what we're doing? We're remembering them. <laughs> and so our, our entire gathering for worship and prayer is to remember and to be remembered and to be, to be in union and to live in union with the divine. So, and if anybody's got some ice cream, let me know. <laughs> what are you looking for? What are you looking for? <laughs> Take them. Take it out of the deep breath.